and welcome back to the Alta 4 podcast. This is your host, Brandon, and today we're going to talk about what's known as ADHD or Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. So before I get started, I have to apologize. Uh, Life is really, really busy right now. Um, I know I sort of introduced the fact that I might scale back a little temporarily because uh, just so much going on, but even scaling back, I can't meet the current schedule. And so um, I'm just going to do the best I can. And uh, I am sorry for frequent followers, but um, I also have to mind my, my business here and my business being all the things having to do with my family and my wife and my, my life outside of uh, creating content for Alt F4. And that's all the more I'm going to say on that. But uh, let's talk about ADHD. Now, uh, I've been of the camp for my whole life, and particularly, I'll say, as I ran into it more, um, I didn't quite agree with it. And, you know, obviously I'll say um, I have no training or no real education and no real uh, feelings about it other than, you know, I'll I'll say some off-the-cuff things like, um, you know, parenting was a little amiss or, you know, there's something mentally wrong with with someone or uh, more discipline is necessary or... Um, things like that. And, uh, I just recently finished reading a book about ADHD because, uh, for reasons I'll talk about here in just a minute. And, uh, my eyes have been open quite a bit actually on it. Now, reading a book doesn't make you a subject matter expert by any means, but what it does do is actually make you more educated on the topic in general. And going from hearing things about ADHD to actually beginning to know some things about it, then uh, your opinion might change a little bit. So uh, I don't like to talk about other people, but um, in this case, I will make an exception uh, by using generic terms. And this other person is actually my son. So when my son, I'll, I'll say this is, I'll say a story and sort of how we, we get to where we are. Um, my son was born in July, so that makes him a, generally speaking, a younger person in, in most of his circles. So, you know, and I'm speaking specifically about school. Um, when we first put him into preschool at age three, he was in pre three preschool. Um, one of the things I remember was that his teacher, his, his three-year-old preschool teacher said, I think we should hold him back a year. And, And I said, are you serious? I said, this is preschool and he's three. I said, based on what criteria are are we going to hold him back? I mean, at the very least, he's also going to have another year of preschool, pre four. And then on top of that, this is an optional program. You know, it's not like 
everyone goes to preschool or everyone has to go to preschool. I'm so we didn't do that. Um, move forward a couple of years. We, we actually moved him. Of course, all of you with kids know that preschool is, is an optional program and it's one that you have to pay for. So it's like going to private school, although, albeit, uh, generally it's less money. So it's somewhere between paying for private school and paying for daycare on the spectrum of cost and things like that. Um, we moved him to a private school, uh, for a couple of reasons. One is, um, we had another child that was school aged as well. And, and the program at this, the school that we moved to was, uh, was fitting for both, both kids. And also they had a, um, all day kindergarten. So we were offsetting some of our daycare costs with the cost of going to school. And so, and it was, it was actually closer than the other school that we had had originally sent my son to for, um, daycare. And so anyway, he started off there with all day kindergarten and things were challenging, we'll say, but the advantage of being in a private school was that we got to uh, work with the teachers pretty intimately on things. So we developed a reward, sort of a monitoring system using bingo daubers and a, and a photocopy chart. And so we got to see the chart each day and each week. And then there was a form of reward that was um, issued with it, with his behavior, not and not so much punishment. Also, at the same time, um, we started seeing a, I'll say it's a counselor. I'm not exactly sure what the credentials are. Um, on we, we got it a referral from our pediatrician and Essentially, it was uh, the way I would describe things is that it was uh, an evaluation of sort of behavior against the norm, if you will. And what I mean by that is, I mean, he wasn't, uh, my son wasn't a disciplinary problem per se, but he uh, had challenges following the uh, normal rules of the classroom. So, of course, going to private school, this was a Christian-based school, and they would have chapel on Wednesday mornings. As an example, um, when the kids are supposed to be singing, he's doing a lot of tapping and things, fiddling with his hands, things like that. Um, expected behavior of sitting in a seat, and performing either paying attention to the class or performing whatever work instruction was issued he would be up sharpening his pencil he would sharpen his pencil for five minutes you know it would literally go from being a new pencil to a stub in one day and so there were some things that were just i'll say a little different than um what a normal child might might exhibit. And so, um, as we kept seeing the counselor, uh, the counselor recommended us to go see a psychologist, which we did. And he performed some aptitude tests and things on my son. 
And then he issued us a report, and then promptly life went back to normal. Mostly normal, I'll say. Um, it went to uh, us continuing with all those uh, monitoring programs and working with the school and and all that stuff. Um, move forward a couple of years uh, when when he was in a higher level grade. Uh, we ran into some real issues with a teacher. And the teacher did not want to accommodate for the behavior uh, monitoring. For instance, um, the teacher made statements like, I'm the teacher, I'm the, I'm the expert in this situation, and so I'm not going to follow or adhere to um, a special requests that you're making. I know how to teach the kids best, you don't. Um, ultimately that led us to actually leave that school. It was really kind of a sad moment. I mean, we were deeply, deeply involved. My wife was on the school board, um, to run the school. I would say that we were probably one of the few families paying full tuition for two kids for sure. I mean, a lot of the kids were on some sort of discounted program, um, we were volunteering in every aspect and, but, but the whole thing just left a sour taste in our mouths. I mean, I remember saying the phrase to my wife that, uh, I said, why am I paying for this? The truth is, is I can send them to public school and get this kind of service. And yet I expect, you know, I don't expect to get my way all the time, but I expect to be met in the middle in terms of, you know, how to work on things. And this is when things really escalated. I think it was more in response to his, um, my son's sort of um, just conflict with the teacher. So for instance, um, she didn't appreciate his school behavior. Previous year's teachers had had let him have some fidget items now and then, um, when and where appropriate. That was a no-no in this class. Um, supposedly he did something behaviorally that caused her to move his desk against the wall, facing the wall. And um, we didn't even know this until uh, he came home from school one day and he said, uh, Mom, I, I think that I'm being forgotten about. We're like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, I have to sit against the wall. And, you know, the, the vocabulary and sort of ability of a uh, seven-year-old to, to um, express feelings and explain the situation probably doesn't even know what's going on or why, why this occurred, you know, um, led to some sleuthing. And then it led to some meetings and then it led to us ultimately saying forget about it you know we don't we don't need this I don't need to pay for this <laughs> I mean I'm already paying for it in public school so the following year we actually moved him to public school and lo and behold he actually did better there than he did in private school academically and behaviorally now um, there's a couple things I would say about private school in my child. And, and one of them is that 
you know, when you're paying an additional amount to send your kids to school, these are parents and families that are vested in their kids' um, outcome and what they're what they're getting for their money. Uh, so they tend to be more uh, more invested in the whole process. Also, um, I think that in public school, particularly at those elementary ages, one, not only do you see a lot of a high volume of kids, but you have an entire spectrum. And so comparing uh, my son, who wasn't, again, was not a discipline problem, but of a fidgeter, a maybe a, a struggle to get work done and um, follow the norms and conventions of what was being asked to be to to do. Um, that was a problem. So, you know, he stood out like a sore thumb. I would I would say in the private school of everybody following strict rules and and expecting them to perform under those versus going to private school where it's or sorry public school where it's much more of a a free for all <laughs> if you will um so anyway um he did very well actually in elementary school uh we we always met with the teachers we always sort of explained where he came from and, and where we saw him going um they always accommodated he was never a discipline problem or or even a disruptive problem um as as far as i can remember in school and so you know i thought i guess my sort of my view of how things were going was i always thought he was young for his age and just less mature than other kids um, at his grade level and therefore um, prone to more challenges when it came to the academic side of things. If we move forward into middle school, um, you know, there weren't, things weren't always stellar, but they weren't always terrible either. Once again, uh, no discipline problems, but uh, I distinctly remember I think it was seventh grade. His his eighth grade year was was a was the COVID year, so it ended prematurely. It may have been eighth grade too. I, I can't remember, but anyway, somewhere near the end of middle school, uh, we had parent teacher conferences, and um, we we asked him on the car on the way over. We said, "Okay, so what are we going to expect?" And he said, "Oh, everything's good." And then. We sit down, and the way they, they perform these parent-teacher conferences is that they have a folder of their work and their grades and comments and things from teachers, and the kids themselves go through that folder and go through their grades and um, comment on the comments if necessary or what have you. So we, we sit down, and he pulls out his folder, and we start looking at his grades, and it's C, D incomplete C B or something like that. I don't remember the exact contents of them, but it's not important. The point was in his mind, he was doing well, but when we looked at him, we're like, what, how can D and incomplete and all these things, how can that be doing well? And, you know, we, we began to see this disconnect between um, what he thought was normal reality expected, whatever. And I think what other people did that led to a huge 
blowout between my wife and myself and my son. And it's, it wasn't that we didn't know that he could do better. It was that, you know, that we were expecting more based on our conversation um, in the car on the way to uh, the parent-teacher conference. So let's fast forward again here into high school. And um, the first, I think he, if I remember correctly, uh, the first semester he sort of floundered some more and then we really got after him. Um, In high school, at least in this age now, there's technology associated with each student. So the truth is we have an app on our phone that we can look up we can see what assignments are turned in what the grades on those are what his current grade is as a result of that what assignments are missing so on and so forth well um, after the first semester of poor performance we really got on him and then all of a sudden um, all of a sudden his grades turned around and He was a straight-A student for, uh, I think, his second semester of uh, being a freshman, his entire year of being a sophomore. And then we backed off again. We said, okay, well, it seems like you might have life skills under control. Actually, meanwhile, um, while that was happening academically, um, about about the COVID time frame, we also transitioned what I, because I wasn't working, I was taking him to his, uh, appointments with his counselor. And, you know, I, I don't get to sit through the whole session or see what exactly happens. And so I, I was evaluating how this was working. Um, it was very typical for the counselor to, to say, Hey, uh, let me talk with you for a few minutes and then we'll bring in your son for a few minutes and then the session would be over. So I would explain, you know, this, that, and the other, and then she would listen and take notes and then that was it. And then he would go in and then that was it. And then essentially, um, my observation was nothing was changing. So we were going not, I mean, probably once a month to this, this counseling session, but I never got any, and I don't know if, I don't know if this is standard or not, but I never got any, um, reports from it. I never really got any, Hey, he's saying this, consider, you know, doing X, Y, Z, um, or anything like that. And so I, I started getting suspicious. I started talking to my wife and I said, I don't think this is really doing much good. I mean, we look at his academic performance and we we see the same problems that we've had basically throughout his school career. We go to counseling. I don't get in I don't get anything out of it. I don't think he's getting anything out of it. I think we need to consider, you know, seeing somebody else. And so um, actually we did some looking around. I credit my wife for that. Actually, she, she was the one that did it. And we found uh, another actually more closer counselor. Well, let me, well, let me finish this, I guess. We found another closer counselor. 
And this counselor works at um, in an alternative school here in the county. It's basically a school where kids that, I'll say troubled kids, go. Um, kids that have been kicked out of regular school, they're bust over there and um, they are they go to school all day and then they're bust home. So it's a more intensive uh, system with, I would say, probably better trained uh, teachers, teachers that are uh, psychologists, psychiatrists that can administer uh, pharmaceuticals and, and cope with behavioral issues and things like that in a better fashion. So we met pretty intensively, I'd say, um, every two weeks or so starting off and, um, and therefore, you know, we, we started, we stopped seeing the counselor that we started seeing in grade school and started seeing this new counselor at a high school age. Now, um, I like him a lot. Uh, I think he spends a lot of time with teens and so therefore he, he knows how to relate to them pretty well. In fact, you know, while waiting for, for my son to, to, to finish up his sessions, um, oftentimes there's other kids that come in for sessions with them. And as a comment, I've talked to some other kids and, you know, they would say, Hey, you waiting for so-and-so? And I'd say, yeah. And he'd say, yeah, me too. He said, this, he's one of the reasons I keep coming here is because, you know, He's really helped me a lot. And so, so I guess what I'm saying is from the patients, clients, whatever, um, they really have high admiration for him. Um, and I like him a lot too, but once again, um, we don't get much in the way of feedback or anything from him. So maybe this is my ignorance and I've brought it up many, many times and I don't get a satisfactory answer to that. It's like, what am I supposed to be getting out of this? <laughs> and really I'm not getting an answer. So it leads me to believe that, um, you know, I'm not supposed to be getting anything out of this. And I'll talk about that here in just a minute too. But let me sidetrack one other thing beforehand. Um, when my son was in seventh grade, he got the invitation to play rugby and uh, was, I think it was after the first game match, whatever you call it. Um, one of the practices, he got hit really hard by one of the other much bigger, much more aggressive kids, even though they were all the same age. One of them was like destined to be some sort of athlete I think if he wanted to play football or rugby or whatever he was a hulk at seventh grade I mean he was as he was probably more muscular than I was well he ended up getting up he ended up hitting his head and so my wife was concerned about a concussion and therefore um, I took him into the doctor now I have some issues with the doctor particularly this doctor that we were seeing, um, pediatrician, actually. My son, when he was born, he was born to one of the older pediatricians um, at the clinic. And with that, um, you know, I think there was a bunch of experience and, and other things. But that, that doctor retired after about 
10 years, I think, of us being with him. And so he's sort of gotten the, the shift every since. And pediatricians themselves aren't necessarily, um, you know, they're like your primary care physician. They're the start of any sort of looking at anything. And they may try some general um, strategies or, or techniques or whatever, referrals, before sort of surrendering to the experts. And this particular doctor had a real penchant for, um, I'll say, political beliefs. So every time there was something going on, they would be giving surveys about, you know, I feel safe in the home and, uh, you know, my parents are do these activities and those activities and there are these things in the house and I observe my parents doing this and that, you know, just kind of, it was a real turnoff for me. And I was, I was about ready to, um, pull the plug on this doctor. Cause I'm like, this is none of your business anyway. Um, I'm, I'm the parent and he's the child and he's, he's a long ways away from being, um, from being independent and, uh, um, what's the term? I can't remember emancipated, but one of the questions on there was, you know, do you feel sad? Do you feel lonely? Blah, blah, blah. And he answered yes to all those questions. And I was looking at the survey and this was the first real indication that I was like, well, I didn't even recognize anything being wrong. I'm like, why, why are you sad? What is there to be sad about? You know, we, we all do well, we do well in life. We're, you know, we're an intact family. We're sure we have our, some issues, but, you know, generally speaking, we're committed to resolving them and I, I didn't get it. Anyway, this, this is how this plays into his, his second counselor, which is actually, um, at the boys school. And so we started talking to him and, you know, he says, well, I think he has some depression so, uh, we're like, okay, well, um, as parents, you know, we do not want to medicate our children if at all possible. I'm not saying that medication doesn't have a role or a place in treatment, but I'd like to not go there if we can. He said, sure. He said, you know, if you ever change your mind, we can talk about that. And, um, he's like, I have to say that I see it all the time and I do see that it works well in the right circumstances. And we said, okay, thank you for your opinion. Um, let's continue on without it. And we both agreed. We said, you know, this is not an acute case of, um, you know, we need to do something now or something's going to happen or, or at least it didn't, doesn't feel like that. Um, we did bring up in the course of our initial conversations, we said, Hey, yeah, uh, we had an evaluation from a psychologist done a number of years ago. Um, we'd like to, we'd like you to read it. He said, sure. I'd love to read it. Please send it to me. So I know, you know, at least what someone's opinion is here before we get started. And so, um, when we had that evaluation done, uh, when my son was in grade school, we did have a review with a psychologist and essentially, at least this is my interpretation of what he said is that, um, he has a really high reading level. 
but he has trouble with certain items. I'm not going to get into all this stuff, but um, it looks like there's some ADHD tendencies and blah, blah, blah. So if we move forward like six years or however many number of years it was, and we're seeing this new counselor, he's like, I see he has ADHD. And I'm like, what? I mean, I felt like the psychologist really downplayed it. And and in some ways, I guess I'm kind of glad that he did because maybe we would have been hot to trot on uh, trying to do something differently rather than trying to deal with it uh, through behavior modifications and things like that. And I, I was shocked. I was like, he has ADHD. What? How come I don't know this? And he's like, well, it's written right here. And so I read it and it's like, sure enough. And I do remember when we had that review years ago, I think he just said it in passing, you know, and then we just moved on to other things. But he kept saying, the psychologist kept saying, he's really bright. He builds this with Legos. He does this. He does that. He, he reads it in 11th grade level and so on and so forth. So anyway, so now we have two factors, right? We have um, what's what's going on in the head with, uh, with doctors, you know, with his indication that he's sad and depressed. And we have a, I'll say it's a diagnosis at this point of ADHD. And so um, where we're at now is, I'm not going to give away all of his secrets because it's not fair or appropriate and it's... Um, not germane to this, but where we are now is we're starting to see these behaviors of really escalating. I'm starting to see behaviors really escalating and struggling to sort of, um, understand the why and where of, of where it's coming from and, and, and so on and so forth. So he's always been a kid that, um, you know, will do things when, when commanded, Maybe not always on the first time, but I look at it like, well, what kid is, you know, <laughs> I mean, what kid's going to clean their room after you tell them the first time? Some of them sure, but most of them probably not. So I didn't see any real issue there. Um, this year, particularly that I've been working at home and he's been driving to school, which is different than in previous years where he's been biking to school. He has a real high rate of tardiness. Um, I think he exceeded over over 20 tardies this year. So getting to school on time. Um, and you, you would think it would go the other way, given that I don't think he was hardly tardy at all last year. Um, but again, we're, we're starting to change our phases in parenting. And this is what I keep telling him is, is that, you know, you're only some time from being an independent adult. At that time, you will make your own decisions and you will have your own consequences. So no, I am not going to wake you up every morning like I've been doing for the past X number of years to make sure that you're going to school on time. I said, you are old enough to be able to wake up to an alarm clock make it out the door and get to school on time, especially because school starts at the same time four days a week and it starts an hour and a half later on the on a fifth day. 
but to have, you know, uh, there's 180 days of instruction and to have over 20 tardies, um, in a semester is really not excusable in my mind. That's just one manifestation of behavior, but he is literally late to everything. Um, for instance, you know, having different doctor's appointments and things and reminding him before school, hey, don't forget, you need to come straight home because we have to be at the doctor at such and such time. And the only way we'll make it in time is if you come straight home. And he has missed numerous appointments because it's essentially in one ear and out the other. And so this kind of behavior is actually um, getting it. Not only is it increasing um, because of we are expecting more with a with a, a more an older, more mature child that has some means and resources like, hey, you can drive yourself to the doctor's appointment, especially because they're starting to get to the point where. I think once you reach the age of 14, it's, um, they're, they're excluding parents in some cases, uh, in the conversation with the doctor. So it's optional to have a parent there. Uh, but ultimately what I'm trying to say is that, you know, he's missing, he's late to school. He's missing doctor's appointments. He's missing other engagements altogether. And it's all because he has kind of a single, this is my view anyway, that he has a single one track mind on whatever the soup of the day is that day. Uh, you know, he'd rather hang out with his friends. And then because he's doing that, he has no concept of what the consequences thereof are. So, um, hold on. Let me pause here for a second. There are other behaviors where, um, for instance, I'll call him down to dinner and I'll say, hey, dinner's on the table. Let's go. Now, dinner time is pretty important to me and I would really like us to spend it as a family if at all possible. It's difficult during school time to do that with different activity commitments, but I also feel like it's something that we should make an effort to do because it's the one time of day that we can all spend time connecting about uh, either things that are happening in the, the next week, the next day, how the day went. It's a time that we can connect all together in one, one event, if you will. And he'll say, yes, I'll be there. And then 20 minutes later, he'll still not be there. Or all of a sudden he'll start taking a shower. And so there's this, I guess, sort of behavior of defiance, if you will, by one agreeing to do something and then actually not doing it. So we're starting to uh, put the pressure on now, right? It's like there are some real life skills that are that he, that I would say he's having some issues with at this point. And we're running out of time to get stuff done, to be honest. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's not... It's not like we can't continue to work and things, but once he becomes an adult, he very likely could make his own, you know, he can make his own decisions and then all of that is out of our control. So we started going back to looking at the facts and things and my wife said, you know, you need to 
to me, uh, learn more about ADHD. And I'm like, okay, I I'll do that. Um, you know, my wife has, I would say a much greater intelligence, um, emotional intelligence component than I do. Um, so while maybe I'll become better educated in ADHD and all of its factors and, and everything, um, she's, I would say more intuitive when it comes to dealing with the issues and, and things like that. And so she was telling me to get educated because I still held the beliefs as like, I think that this behavior can change. And I'm not convinced that it won't, but um, I'll say that I was pretty ignorant about it. So, so I read this book about ADHD. And one of the myths that um, was dispelled for me was that, um, you know, sort of an overdiagnosed condition. Now, it's true like other medical conditions like lupus where it's not easy to diagnose. There's no real markers in it. Um, but, you know, it's something that can be sort of uh, diagnosed by ruling out other things. But then when I was reading uh, different case studies of of people that had it, I was like, I was identifying with the behaviors that was going on. For instance, taking 15 minutes to put on socks. I'm like, that is totally him. Um, the, you know, the tactile problems, like, he has issues with texture of clothes, texture of foods, things like that. The um, lack of sort of emotional recognition, um, things like that. And then I also learned that ADHD has basically three flavors. There's one that was called ADD. So that's without the hyperactivity. Um, there's, I would say the more common, which is the ADHD that's with hyperactivity. And that's why he doesn't have a lot of behavioral outbursts is that he doesn't really have the hyperactivity associated with it. And then there's a third type, which is escaping me because I didn't write any notes for this. <laughs> Maybe it'll come to me before it's over. Um, but, uh, also, I also learned that with this, that there are many uh, what's called co comorbidities, right? Oftentimes, you can have ADHD and also have autism or something. In this case, it seems like he will have, he might have ADHD and also have depression. Now, depression may be a result of the ADHD, and um, you know things like social situation is are challenging for people with ADHD because they don't fit into the social norms. Um, my son is very quiet. He's very much like me, and it makes me wonder if maybe I have some component of it too. My wife thinks that I might have Asperger's because I don't tend to have a lot of feelings for things. But I will say this, that my brother has ADHD um, and we didn't, we didn't know about it. I didn't know about it until after he was out of college. I don't think he did either. He said he was diagnosed when he was an undergraduate and he does from time to time, I guess, take some, some medication for that. He says when he really wants to concentrate or something. Um, and so it's like, uh, this is genetic. 
Uh, now, if we look at the other side of the coin, um, my wife's got mental illness in her family, particularly autism and the autism spectrum. And so, you know, I, what I was arguing with my wife about last week is like, one opinion does not, to me, does not mean ADHD. I'm not ready to say that he doesn't have um, something else, particularly the fact that comorbidities are very prevalent in um, in these kids. So until we see all the facts, I mean, I'm, I'm not re- ready to say that. But I will say that he certainly identifies with some of these characteristics that are there. It's just not all of them. And that's very common, I guess, for people that have ADHD. So, um, so that's a thing. Um, the other thing that I learned was that, uh, the reason people have ADHD apparently is that their brain is smaller than normal, something like 5% normal. And because it's smaller, they don't have the same uh, dopamine or chemical receptors. I, I think it was dopamine, but I could be wrong. They don't have the same chemical receptors. And therefore, um, when I say same, same quantity. And therefore, um, what happens is that they, um, they don't respond the same way. And so that's what manifests in all these behavioral uh, issues. And so, um, supposedly there's no, and this book was also probably about 30 years old too. So there may be updated information. I've got additional works that I'm planning on reading as of that time, at least there was nothing that really could scan the brain size or maybe the scanners weren't good enough to do so, uh, and say, yeah, your brain is smaller than normal, but the reason why medication works actually is because, um, the medication then, uh, plugs those chemical receptors that are not getting plugged because of the size of the brain. And when I read that, I sort of changed my tune about the whole thing. I was like, this makes a lot of sense to me, actually. Um, there were some statistics that the book was citing about, how um, when kids get on medication, they actually, and and they follow them, they actually reduce their uh, amount of later in life drug use and things. And I, I think this is what's all going on here is that kids end up getting depressed or developing other comorbidities because they don't function the same as well as other people. And then they turn to self-medication. But when they when they're on a prescribed medication plan, they don't feel that way. And therefore they're not as prone to actually, um, pursuing that path and, and a real downfall. Right. So, um, so that changed my tune actually right away. And like I said a few minutes ago, I mean, I'm, I'm not ready to actually say he has ADHD. I mean, one, one psychologist did, okay. And he exhibits the behavior of, of it. Okay. So it's, it's, it's a strong leaning, but we're in the process of getting some more, um, some more, uh, opinions on it. And so we've actually had him start going back to the first, um, counselor that he was seeing 
because uh, when I took him into the pediatrician and we're just not at the state where we've transitioned from pediatrician to normal doctor, even though we're probably at that threshold, uh, we were talking about, she was the one that prescribed um, the, the initial ADHD medicine. And he was saying, it's not really doing anything. And, and so I was just watching her body language and she just didn't really know what to do with it. Right. And so when we came back from the doctor's office, I said, we got to find a new doctor because this one is out of her league. You know, she's used to delivering babies and taking weights and administering boosters and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes right down to actually treating patients for chronic problems, um, she's out of her league. I mean, that's just not what pediatricians do. Right. So, um, I said, Hey, we got to find a new doctor. And so we contacted the previous counselor and she said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm under a new, new practice or what I, I didn't speak with her, but she's like, yeah, we have a person that specializes in that. And, you know, we have other things, which I wasn't aware of at the time. So that's why I say, I, I believe it's new. Um, and so they, they are getting more aggressive about, um, addressing those items. And so, uh, so we're making steps there. So, um, uh, part of this, th- I was going to talk about this anyway, but I was also listening to another podcast this morning and, and the host was talking about ADHD and how he thought that he had it. And I think s- he played a clip from Joe Rogan who also said that he had it. And, he was saying, don't medicate, you know, I'm glad I wasn't medicated and, um, you know, I wouldn't have been the person that I am if I would have been and this is nonsense and get your act together. And I'm like, well, um, you know, I'm all for trying everything possible that you can. I think when you look at the science facts of it, right, the, the things about the brain size and the receptors, I'm not opposed to it as I was before because there's a real reason for having it. And uh, I think, you know, it's a spectrum. And so therefore, you know, is there a chance that my son will go off the rails? Yeah, I do believe there's a chance. Is there a chance that he'll be successful? Yes, I do believe, you know, without medication. Yes, I do. I, I think that there's a long road in between those two things and it's things like being able to show up to a job on time to keep it where the trouble is right and it's like if you can't understand the significance of staying on a schedule for certain things then you're going to have a long tough road and that's just not something that we want I mean I would rather him have him and us have the facts and then him opt to not do that and, and learn life the hard way, if you will, then us take a hard stance on something, not investigate the facts and never find out, you know, what's in between here and there. So, you know, I, I thank the Lord that, um, you know, this is not by any means the worst case that could ever come up. It just means that it's uh, something that we have to deal with in the course of life. And um, it's just what we have to do.
So there could be many, many, many other things, including autism, that are much worse. And so I'm thankful that this is all it is, right? But we're not there yet. And so um, really what I want to conclude this podcast with today is that, you know, if you're having issues, and, and that's the other thing too, is doctors are not the end-all be-all. And we, my wife and I, argue about this from time to time is that I'm a scientist. I've been trained in science. I will defer that they have more experience treating and more experience seeing them. But I also just watch body language. And when I see someone that doesn't look like they really know what they're doing, there's a good chance that they don't know in this case and that what they're doing is potentially harmful or wrong or not the right solution. And so, um, I would encourage you to, you know, not only do you have to be an advocate for your child, but you also have to be an advocate against the system when the system doesn't work or is not, um, not providing the same service that you would, that you would hope. And I understand that. I understand that not, not every doctor can be a, get the diagnosis right miracle worker on the first shot. I'm not asking for perfection. I'm also, you know, but I am asking for when you're taking on this obligation that you're committed to solving the problem. And I see this time and time again with not only with psychologists or, you know, these people, but, but also primary care physicians where they're just like, throw it to the patient. What do you want to do next? Um, my wife's doctor does that. Now she takes a very active role in a lot of things, but it's like, that's not really appropriate. I mean, if I'm giving you the title of subject matter expert, I would like you to say, I would like to be told, these are the three options. This is the one I'm leaning to. Which one do you agree with me or not? Which one are we going to pick? So anyway, I don't want this to be a rant, but what I do want to say is, you know, not only do you have to advocate for your child, but you also have to pay attention in the system and use common sense because it's not that hard, right? I mean, doctors are doctors because they get, you know, they get some sort of undergraduate degree and then they go into an advanced program. Yes, they learn more, they learn more than the layman about certain subjects, but just like I could probably run project management circles around doctors, they could probably run, you know, doctorish things around me. But we're all people. We all start from the same place and we all end in the same place, if you know what I mean. So, hey, uh, maybe more to come on ADHD. I'm going to research it some more, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about it and how I've changed my opinion over time. Hopefully I'll get back on a regular schedule here and uh, we will talk to you later. Wait, before I end, you can reach me at Brandon at altf4.co and remember to end your programming and do things that matter. <laughs>